Good evening, everybody. Go ahead and open with me to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1. Go ahead and put a little note there. As Justin always likes to say, you can pluck somebody's eyebrow out or a nose hair or something. Put it right there at Jeremiah chapter 1 because that's where we are going to camp out, but we're going to be flipping throughout the book of Jeremiah, looking at many other passages, many other chapters, but we'll always come back to Jeremiah chapter 1. Before we begin our message this evening, just uh, one note for y'all. I'm coming over a little bit of a sickness last week. I feel great for the most part, but there is a lingering cough, so I pray that that would not be a distraction as we get going here, and you can pray with me that the Lord would, in his kindness, um, help in that regard as well. So, Jeremiah, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get going. Father, we thank you for a song that we just sang, that this life is hard. Trials, temptations, persecutions, sufferings, afflictions, they come our way, Lord. We know as Christians that we are called to take up our cross and follow it after our Lord, and it is hard. That was the life of Jeremiah, one of suffering, one of persecution, one of intense ministry. That's our lot, Lord, as Christians. Lord, we know. How can we repine? How can we turn away? How can we quaver when we have Christ who died for us, when we have the Spirit who fills us, when we have the Father who smiles down upon us? God, I pray that as we open up the book of Jeremiah that we would be richly blessed as followers of Christ, and yet warned at the same time with the message that Jeremiah brought to Judah and to Jerusalem 2,500 years ago. Lord, may our ears hear the same warning that if we are dead in our sin, if we are clinging on to our sin, that your judgment will come, and Lord, may we turn away. And so anyway, Lord, as we come to you, we pray, let's Let our hearts be stirred to affection to you, to glorify you, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right, the book of Jeremiah. To get started, I'm doing something a little bit different tonight. I need a volunteer, preferably a guy. Volunteer, you don't have to do anything except raise your hand, and then I get to pick on you for the rest of the few minutes I have. Anybody? All right, Hudson, thank you. I appreciate you, Hudson. All right, Hudson. Let's say, Hudson, that you are 18 to 20 years old. Oh, perfect, right? Yeah, you're somewhere in that range, 18 to 20 years old. Okay, great. All right. Uh, Hudson, let's say that you live in a country which has rejected God and is completely walking in sin. You live in a country kind of like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, you sure do. Now, ready for this, Hudson, okay? Are you ready? You ready? You sure? Ready? Okay. I have a message from God to give to you, Hudson, and it's this. He is letting you know that before you were born, Hudson, before the foundation of the world, he knew you, 
and he chose you to be his messenger. It's pretty cool, right? You pretty excited about that? Yeah, you get to be God's messenger. Well, do you want to know what your message is? Oh, great messenger of God. Yeah, no, yes, yes. He does want to know what his message is. Well, here is your message. God wants you to go to Washington, D.C. and proclaim to anyone and everyone that divine judgment is coming for all the sins and the transgressions and the rebellions and every other infraction committed by this wicked nation. And as you speak out in warning to this nation, he wants everyone to know that if they do not turn from their abominable ways that he is sending against them China. That's right, China, a nation so strong and so mighty and so powerful that they're going to completely destroy and wipe out this capital city. Hudson's laughing back there. They will be overthrown. They will be destroyed. Their men will be slaughtered. Their women will be killed. Their buildings will be flattened. And then the people are going to be forced out of this country, led into exile back to China, where they are going to dwell for 70 years. That's your message. Oh, and on another note, Hudson, God wants you to know that when you speak out this message of judgment upon this wicked people, they're going to hate you. They're going to fight against you. They're going to speak maliciously against you. They're going to seek your death. They are going to imprison you. <coughs> you will be abandoned by your own family. You will be abandoned by your hometown friends. And by the end of your ministry, not a single person will have listened to your warning except maybe a handful. But take heart. God has promised to fortify you. He has promised to strengthen you in the midst of your suffering. So that's Hudson's message. That's Hudson's ministry. That's his calling, his commission. Hudson, we'll see you later. Go and do the work, okay? No, I'm just kidding. You can sit down. All right, I begin this way. Why? Because in a nutshell, that was the call and the commission 2,500 years ago of an 18-ish year old boy named Jeremiah from the city of Anathoth, a suburb outside the city limits of Jerusalem. Our message, our title, everything can be summed down to this. It is God's final warning. The book of Jeremiah in three words is this, God's final warning. If I could put a sentence on it, I would describe the book of Jeremiah this way. <coughs> Jeremiah gives one last warning from sovereign God to a spiritually adulterous people calling them to repent. This is, in this book, 52 chapters, God's final warning to his people. As Jeremiah lifts up his voice, he warns Judah that sovereign God, his hand is stretched out, the sword of judgment has been unsheathed, and the seconds are uh, slowly dwindling. They must turn back now. If they don't, then 
they're going to meet their doom. A sword of God's justice will fall, the nation will be overthrown and destroyed by the northern political power, Babylon. And so as we read throughout these 52 chapters, the major aim of this book, the focus of this book, is to warn God's people, to warn Judah, to warn Jerusalem, to flee, to turn away from their sin and back to their covenant maker, to turn back to their God. No, that's not to say that there isn't hope in this book. Indeed, as we will see, Jeremiah chapter 31 is one of the most hopeful passages, one of the most salvific passages promising salvation in all the Old Testament. But overall, this book is a warning. And so to help us get a, under, a better understanding of this book, in order to, to dive in a little further, there are, are essentially two themes from the book of Jeremiah that kind of stand out from the others. And in order for us to better understand the book of Jeremiah, we're going to study these two themes. The first theme has to do with just the person of Jeremiah. That is the ministry of Jeremiah. Because unlike any other book in the Old Testament, save maybe Moses, the book of Jeremiah provides us a window into the heart of God's messenger. It gives us so many different angles, so many different insights into Jeremiah's life. And what we can see, what we can learn from Jeremiah, not only helps us understand the book, but helps us to understand both life and ministry here as Christians. And so there's four topics of his ministry that I want us to cover and look at. And the first one is, is his challenging predicament. His challenging predicament. Why was the, the setting, the context, the situation that Jeremiah was thrust into, why was it so challenging? Well, the first is because of his age. Look at chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Here, what Jeremiah says in verse 6. Then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. So we see here that Jeremiah cries out in dismay, A prophet to the nations? I'm just a youth. In other words, Jeremiah was still dependent upon his parents for financial support. It was, as commentators argue, that he was most likely around the ages of 18 to 20, like many of you here today. So again, imagine yourself here in Jeremiah's shoes, called and commissioned to go forth to be God's mouthpiece, God's messenger, God's prophet, to speak and to stand against kingdoms and against nations. He was to speak out against those much older than he he was to speak out against those much more powerful than he. He was to speak out against those much more influential than he. And so imagine yourself, right, if God were to call you to go out to speak against the president of the United States or to speak out against Vladimir Putin or to speak out against Elon Musk or some other royal dictator or powerful, influential, wealthy man, you think, I'll be kind of intimidated. That would be a little nerve-wracking. That would be a little bit 
scary, right? But notice what God says here to Jeremiah. Verse 7, But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Verse 8, Do not be afraid of them. Why? For I am with you. I am with you. God Almighty is with Jeremiah to deliver him, declares the Lord. Jeremiah, I am the sovereign one. Jeremiah, I am the king over the nations. Jeremiah, don't you know that before the foundation of the world, I set you apart, that I chose you, I appointed you, I lift up nations, I bring down nations, and I am with you, Jeremiah. Do not be afraid. What assurance, right, that Jeremiah would have taken. What comfort, what confidence, what strength. Now, if we were in Jeremiah's shoes, which we're not, we're not a prophet, we're not a son of a prophet, but understand if you're a follower of Christ here today, you too have a message. God has also chosen you before the foundation of the world to set his love upon you, to set you apart, and to call you to ministry, to give you a message of reconciliation. God has consecrated you. He has gifted you. He has given you a specific mess, uh, mission in his kingdom work that you too are like Jeremiah in that sense, that you are to go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You too are to make disciples by calling people to turn away from their sins of rebellion against their Creator to warn them that judgment is coming upon them if they will not. And for some of you, you might be in a more influential setting like Jeremiah. For some of you, not quite so large a scale, but in either way, it can be intimidating. It can be a little bit frightening to proclaim the gospel. But we too, like Jeremiah, can take comfort to take comfort from God's word. Here God says, do not be afraid, Jeremiah, I am with you. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, he says, go forth, make disciples of all the nations, and then, lo, I am with you. Jesus says, I am with you. Always, even until the end of the age. We can take comfort <coughs> Excuse me, but not only was his challenging predicament because of age, it was also because of the nation's depravity. What was the historical scenery? What was the, uh, excuse me, the historical setting, the context in which Jeremiah was thrust? Well, he was thrust to preach the word of God during the nation's darkest days. Look at chapter 1, verse 2. It says that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah when? In the days of Josiah. And then we see all the way to the 11th year of Zedekiah. And so we see that Jeremiah began in the 13th year of King Josiah. King Josiah is a name that you probably know well. King Josiah was the uh, last righteous king of, of Judah in which he set up uh, sweeping reforms to go throughout the land. Spiritual renewal began to initiate in the people and, um, and their uh, religious following after God. We saw under Ahaz and under Manasseh, 
that sin abounded, and then here came Josiah to reform and to renew and to bring revival. Yet, what we also see is that Josiah's actions, while it repressed the nation's heinous practices, it only did so outwardly. It could not ultimately eradicate the deadly cancer of sin that began first under Ahaz and flourished under Manasseh. And instead, all Josiah was able to do was, was temporarily bring the deadly cancer of the nation's sin into remission. Now we see that after Josiah died, that again, the people continued to do what was right in their own eyes. The sin was too deep into their heart. They renewed their perverse practices and they chased after the depravity unlike ever before. And so it was into that environment that Jeremiah was sent, was called to go and to preach to a people who were stubborn, a people who were unruly in heart, <coughs> led by four godless kings who directed the nation into this downward spiral of ever-increasing spiritual apostasy. In fact, it's interesting in the book of Jeremiah that, that God actually calls Judah uh, before captivity as more treacherous than the northern Israel who had abandoned their God years before. It was into this dark time that Jeremiah was sent. This was his challenging predicament. Speak out against a nation, speak out against a culture who claimed allegiance to God but in profession had abandoned him in every way. And I would submit to you that we have the same predicament. We have the same challenge. Christian, if God has brought you to a saving knowledge of himself, he also is sending you out into a culture, into a nation banked, uh, bankrupt in righteousness. You say, what, what do you mean, Wes? Are we live here in Texas? This is... It's the Bible Belt, right? This church is on every block. We have conservative, conservative Christians on every street corner, right? Sadly, no. We find ourselves today in really no better situation than Jeremiah was. We, we live in a culture in a day that mimics and reflects exactly what we see in the book of Jeremiah. Many claiming Christ by creed, but denying him by conduct. Those holding to Christ by profession, but rejecting him by practice. <coughs> and so this is our mission field. This is our predicament. We can read the book of Jeremiah and we can learn how we are to faithfully minister in this culture. But that brings us to a second topic about Jeremiah's ministry, and that was his emotional pain. His emotional pain. The prophet Jeremiah is often known as what? The weeping prophet, right? As one Study note said, in this book, what we find is a heartbroken prophet with a heartbreaking message. Throughout the, this book, what we find and what we see is Jeremiah's own personal statements of emotional pain, uh, of weeping, of mourning over the judgment that he must announce 
to this godless people. And the burden of such a difficult ministry produces anguish and turmoil in his soul. Turn with me now to Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 19, we see over and over again statements just like this. He says this, My soul, my soul, I am in anguish, oh my heart. My, my inner bowels, my, my inner being, all that I am, my heart, everything that I am is in anguish. My heart is pounding in me. I cannot be silent. Why? What brings him such anguish? He says, because you have heard, oh my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Jeremiah is heartbroken over the judgment that is coming this army and nation coming to tear down God's people. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1. Probably one of the most familiar statements on this topic. Here we have Jeremiah saying this, Oh, that my, my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Turn with me to verse 18. He says, let them make haste and take up a wailing for us that our eyes may shed tears and our eyelids flow with water. Jeremiah wept, he mourned, he lamented over God's destroyed people. We could go to other places like Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 17, or 14, verse 17. But what we see there is these expressions of Jeremiah's heart, right? Jeremiah was a man who was gentle and lowly, patterned after his God. Right? Jeremiah preached a message of judgment. Jeremiah preached that people were going to be destroyed if they would not turn from their sins. But he did it, and as he did it, he wept. He wept because he loved people. He loved his people. Jeremiah did not find delight in this. He did not find pleasure in the death and devastation of his people, but rather he wept for them. Why? Because he loved them. It was love that drove him to preach God's message of warning, and it was love that caused him to weep when the people would not listen. You ask, who else weeps over those who will not respond to the gospel. Our Lord Jesus Christ also lamented. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Our Lord Jesus wept over those who would not repent and embrace him as Messiah. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, he writes, I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart for this people. And then he writes this, that, that if he could, he would wish to be cut off and accursed so that they might know Christ and that they might live. <coughs> 
Guys, is that the way that you view and you think of the unbelievers in your life? Do you weep for the unsaved to come to know the Lord? Are your inwards wrenched when you think about innumerable souls casting themselves headlong into hell? Do you sentiment with Charles Spurgeon who said this, quote, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. If you're like me, so often our hearts are, are cold. Hearts are so cold and so unmoved for the lost. And you say, well, how can I come to a place like Jeremiah? How can I come to a place like the Lord Jesus? And my answer is just simple. It's this. It's just pray. Pray. Pray for the unsaved, perishing sinners in your life. Lift up your voice and cry out to God for them. And as you do, ask the Lord, say, Lord, take this cold, unmoved, unloving, frozen heart, Lord, and break it, smash it, warm it. Let it be on fire. Let it be a fervent heart that loves sinners and longs for them to know the Savior. And so we too, I pray, would have a pain and a longing to see God's people, uh, to see people come to know the Lord. But now we come to our third topic of Jeremiah's ministry. That was his severe persecution. Turn back to chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 16. God says, I will pronounce my judgments on them concerning all their wickedness, whereby they have forsaken me and have offered sacrifices to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. Verse 17, now gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all which I command you. Do not be a dismay before them or I will dismay you before them. Verse 18, uh, let's go down, go down to verse 19. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you for I am with you to deliver you declares the Lord. Here we see God informing Jeremiah that as he goes out to deliver this warning, to deliver this message, he says that they will fight. Those who want their ears tickled, those who are looking for false prophets and pro false prophecy and don't get it, they're going to fight against Jeremiah. And that's what we see happen throughout the book. Turn with me to chapter 11. Chapter, <coughs> chapter 11, verse 17. Well, verse 21, therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the man of Anathoth who seek your life saying, do not prophesy in the name of the Lord so that you will not die at your hand. What we see here, Jeremiah is describing his, his interaction with the Lord. And what we notice is that persecution began first in Jeremiah where? In his hometown. Here we see his closest family members, his friends, his extended relationships, 
all spoke out maliciously against them. They despised this messenger. They wanted to put a stop. They wanted to close Jeremiah's mouth and they wanted to keep him from speaking. What does Jeremiah say in verse 19? But I was like a gentle lamb to the slaughter. He felt like he was a lamb being led to the slaughter of their wicked and evil words. Go to Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 1. There we see that persecution begins to ramp up with Jeremiah. It goes from, um, from evil words, from close acquaintance, uh, acquaintances, to now beatings and imprisonment from the religious elite. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 1, when Pashur, the priest, the son of Emer, was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. What did he do? He had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put him in the stocks there at their upper Benjamin gate, which is by the house of the Lord. Chapter 37 now, verse 15. Jeremiah chapter 37, verse 15. What do we see there? We see more beatings. Then the officials were angry at Jeremiah. They beat him. They put him in jail in the house of Jonathan, the scribe, which they had made into the prison. For Jeremiah had come into the dungeon, that is the vaulted cell, and Jeremiah stayed there many days. Chapter 38. Then they took Jeremiah. They cast him into the cistern of Malchijah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guardhouse, and they let Jeremiah down with ropes. Now in the cistern there was no water but only mud, and Jeremiah sank into the mud. Over and over, beatings, imprisonments, affliction. That was Jeremiah's result, his reward from the people as he spoke to them the message of God. And should we think and expect anything different, Christian, as we go out and as we minister the gospel of Jesus Christ? The answer, obviously, is no. We, too, have been forewarned by our Lord that no disciple is above their master. If they persecuted Christ, they're going to persecute us. So the question that we see as we read the book of Jeremiah, as we study his life, as we are encouraged by him, the answer is, will you count the cost like Jeremiah? Will you pick up your cross to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and proclaim him in this self-deceived culture? <clears throat> we turn lastly now to Jeremiah's unwavering perseverance. Jeremiah's unwavering perseverance. It's been noted by one commentator that while Jeremiah might be best known as the weeping prophet, he could better be described as the persevering prophet. He writes, quote, the, uh, the emphasis on his weeping may mislead readers regarding his toughness. Jeremiah was a determined, dedicated, long-suffering follower of God. I mean, you think of all that Jeremiah went through. We think of the challenging predicament that he was called to preach in. We think of the emotional pain that he experienced as he toiled to see God's word proclaimed. The, the severe persecution that he faced. We could throw in there the dejecting results of his ministry that nobody listened to him. <coughs> I mean, can you imagine that? Preaching day after day, year after year, and no one ever listening to you? No one ever repenting and turning to the Lord for salvation? And yet, even in the face of all these obstacles, Jeremiah never gave up. Forty 
years at least, 40 plus years. Jeremiah preached and he preached and he preached. The dude was like the energizer bunny. He kept going and going and going. Why? Because God had commanded him. God has had commanding him. <clears throat> Excuse me, God had commanded him. So what was it that gave Jeremiah his strength to keep on persevering? What can we learn that will also give us the strength to keep on persevering in ministry for the Lord? It was his God and his mission. Jeremiah chapter one, verse 17, God says, now gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all which I command you. Do not be dismayed before them or I will dismay you before, dismay you before them. God had given Jeremiah a charge. He had called Jeremiah and gave him a mission and Jeremiah was fueled by that mission from the Lord. But we also see that it was God himself that strengthened Jeremiah to keep on going. He says, now behold, I have made you today, verse 18, as a fortified city and as a pillar of iron and as walls of bronze against the whole land to the kings of Judah, to its princes, to its priests, and to the people of the land. God strengthened Jeremiah. God made Jeremiah like a wall of bronze, like a pillar of iron. Turn with me real quickly to Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah chapter 20, I love this. Again, we see the same thing. <coughs> as Jeremiah is lamenting, as he's saying in verse 7, O Lord, you have deceived me. I was deceived. You, over, um, you have overcome me and prevailed. I've become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction. Because for me, the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. But yet, what does Jeremiah say in verse 9? Will he give it in? Will he fold it in? Will he quit ministry when it gets hard? Will he quit following the Lord when it gets tough? He says, verse 9, but if I say I will not remember him or speak anymore in his name, then in my fire it becomes like a burning, excuse me, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. In other words, what Jeremiah is saying, I have a call, I have a commission that the Lord has given to me. But we also see that it is God himself who strengthens Jeremiah. Verse 10, for I have heard the whispering of many terror on every side, denounce him. Yes, let us denounce him. Verse 11, but the Lord is with me like a dread champion. The Lord is an awesome warrior. The Lord is a mighty, strong, powerful warrior by my side. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will be utterly ashamed because they have failed with an everlasting disgrace that will not be forgotten. Jeremiah knew his God. He knew his call, and therefore he persevered. And so for you, Christian, how will you prevail? How will you have 40, 50, 80 years of faithful ministry like Jeremiah? You have to know your call. You have to know that the Lord Jesus has called you. He has set you apart for ministry. Whatever that might, be, whatever that might look like in the church, whatever the way the Lord has gifted you, you have a call. You have a, a ministry. You're like a soldier Right? A soldier doesn't give up in battle. A soldier doesn't give up on his task and assignment because he knows that he has a duty. He knows he must fulfill his assignment. So too, we have an assignment, we have a call, but we also will persevere because we must know our Savior. 
when we know our Savior, his love compels us, then we know that we will never fail. We will never give up. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What is it that motivates us? It is the love of the Savior that compels us forward. The love of Christ. So that is the ministry of Jeremiah. But that brings us secondly to the message of Jeremiah. What is the main idea, the overarching point of this book? Well, it can be boiled down to to three points, three overarching points. The first is this, that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. This is the foundation of the whole book. Everything funnels out of God's sovereignty. The Lord God is set up in the book of Jeremiah as the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the Almighty One, the one who rules nations, the one who directs kings and sets them like like water in his hands, like channels. He then directs them any way in which he wants. We see over and over in the book of Jeremiah that there is God, there is one God and there is no other. He is the sovereign one over the nations, over creation, over the false idols of the people. He is sovereign. Look at chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 4 and verse 5, I've read earlier there, we see that God is sovereign over creation. He's sovereign over this, um, this man, Jeremiah. He knew him. He had called him. He had chosen him before the foundation of the world. Look at Chapter 1, verse 10, that God is sovereign over the nations. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms. You see, Babylon isn't the one in charge. The nations of the earth are not the ones in charge. God is the one in charge. Turn with me to chapter 10, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 6. We see not only is God sovereign over the nations, God is sovereign over the false idols of the peoples. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 6, he says, There is none like you, O Lord. None. Zero. Zip. None like you. You are great. Great is your name and might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? Indeed, it is your due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. Verse 10, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and he is the everlasting king. Verse 12, it is he who made the earth by his power. It is he who established the word by uh, the world by his wisdom. It is he who by his understanding has stretched out the heavens. It is God, the sovereign one. And so Jeremiah points our attention and points our focus to God's sovereignty. Turn with me to one more passage on that. Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18. Here we have the clearest picture of God's sovereignty in the whole book. We have this picture of this potter and the clay. He goes to the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah chapter 18 verse 1. He says, arise, go down to the potter's house. There I will announce my words to you. So Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house. Here's what he sees. He sees this potter making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay, it was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So what did the potter do? He remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. What's the point that God wants Jeremiah to come, uh, to pick up from this? 
It's this, that God is sovereign. Verse five, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declare the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of the Lord. This is the whole point of the book. God is sovereign. And so what will sovereign King Yahweh do with his people? Well, that's the second point, the second part of Jeremiah's message. It's this, God will judge. God will judge. You see, Israel, Judah, Jerusalem, the people were like this clay vessel. They had become spoiled in the sight of God. Their sin had tarnished them. It had polluted them. And God and his sovereignty will judge he will reshape, he will remake his people. How's he going to do that? He's going to warn them, and then because they fail to heed his warning, he will judge them. Turn back, chapter 1, verse 10. Again, we see the dominant themes all coming out in chapter 1. Chapter 1 is really an overview of what the rest of the book is. He says, verse 10, See, I have appointed you this day, Jeremiah, over the nations and over the kingdoms to do what? To pluck up and to break down, to destroy, and to overthrow. God will sovereignly bring a nation from the north, chapter, excuse me, verses 13 through 15, Babylon, to righteously judge his disobedient people. And so what we see from Jeremiah chapter 1 through Jeremiah chapter 29, we see God's warning. 29 chapters of warning, 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 alarm, alarm, right? Judgment is coming. Babylon is coming. Why? Well, we see because the people had sinned. We see that they were guilty of child sacrifice. They were guilty of the oppression of the poor. They were guilty of corrupt leadership, false prophecy, breaking the Sabbath, empty ritualism, spiritual stubbornness, but worst of all, spiritual adultery. most vivid, descriptive language, both the people's rebellion and sin and God's act of judgment. And so for the first 29 chapters, God warns them of judgment, the why that they will be judged and the what, what it will be like. And then we see in chapters 34 through 52, we see God's execution of judgment. That's the how and the when. Here's how God will judge you. Here's the when God will judge you. You see, the people had heard the warning, but they had stopped up their ears. Almost 52 chapters, almost a whole book dedicated to judgment. And you read that and you're like, Man, it's not really kind of uplifting. It's not really encouraging. It's kind of a down book. Well, understand through this all, this is God being gracious. This is God being merciful. This is God being loving that he would send his prophet to warn the people and to call them 
back to himself. God is graciously sending this book of Jeremiah to the people to tell them to turn and to flee, right? Just like a a tornado siren screeching into the dead of night with its ear-piercing scream warning us of the coming disaster, the book of Jeremiah was meant to wake up the people from their spiritual slumber and flee the coming wrath. Jeremiah chapter 44 Verse 4 and 5, don't turn there, I'm just going to read it. But what we see here, I love this, this is what Jeremiah says. He says, yet I sent you all my servants, the prophets, all the prophets, I sent them to you again and again, saying, oh, do not do this abominable thing which I hate. God was warning, he was being gracious calling the people, don't do this. I hate this. I will judge you if you continue in this abominable way. In verse 5, did they listen? No, they did not listen or incline their ears to turn from their wickedness so as not to burn sacrifices to other gods. That was the message of Jeremiah, a gracious warning to the people. If you come here tonight, not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the same warning I give to you. Perhaps you've grown up in this church, or perhaps you're here for the first time as a guest. And you have heard sermon after sermon warning you to flee from the wrath that is to come, warning you to to flee eternal destruction, but you will not listen. You will not take heed. Understand, death will come upon you just as surely, just as swiftly as it did upon Judah and Jerusalem. Right, but not, a, not just a, a physical death. This is a spiritual death. You will suffer under the agonizing horror of eternal torment for millennia upon millennia. And when you look up after an untold number of years, you will see that it will be no closer to the end for you than when you first began. This is your warning. Take heed, listen, and turn. Turn to what, Wes? Well, it is the righteous branch. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, as Jeremiah calls him. Through his substitutionary death and resurrection from the grave, the Lord Jesus Christ can take upon himself your judgment, the penalty due for your your sins, and he can provide for you eternal life. Jeremiah describes him in Jeremiah 23, verse 6, the Lord, our righteousness flee to Christ today. Lastly, very quickly, last part of this book is that God will dis, uh, restore. There is not, excuse me, the, the book does not close without any kind of hope, does not close without any kind of glimmer or ray of, of truth on salvation. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Here we see the new covenant the new covenant. Chapters 30 through 33 are called by 
many the book of consolation. Here, Jeremiah, in the very middle, in the very heart of the book, comforts and consoles his people. After sermon upon sermon of death and destruction and judgment and hellfire and brimstone, Jeremiah gives the people a word of hope, of life-giving truth. Yes, God will judge, but God will restore. And it's all rooted here in the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. He says that this covenant will not be like the old covenant. What was wrong with the old covenant, right? The old covenant, as John Bunyan say, uh, says that uh, it commanded uh, God's people to run, but it didn't give them legs or feet. In other words, it commanded God's people to be holy as God is holy, but it did not empower God's people to be able to be holy. This is a covenant unlike the old covenant, verse 33. Why? God says, I will make it with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Listen to this. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The new covenant shall not only command God's people, but the new covenant shall also empower God's people. In other words, as Bunyan again says, the law commands us fly, excuse me, the new covenant bids us fly, and gives us wings. It close with this, verse 34. We see that the new covenant is not external, but internal. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. Under the old covenant, all were under the old covenant by heritage, by physical birth, but not all knew the Lord. Under the new covenant, all will know the Lord because only those who receive new birth from above will enter. And what is the beautiful result? I will forgive their iniquity and I will forgive their sin no more. I will not remember their sin no more. So who is at the center of this new covenant and restoration of God's people? It's Jeremiah chapter 30, verse nine. It is the Davidic king, the Lord Jesus Christ. On the cross 2000 years ago, our Lord Jesus cut a new covenant in his blood. On the day of Pentecost, we see that the Holy Spirit was outpoured, thus inaugurating the new covenant. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, you partake in that new covenant blessing, this very promise that Jeremiah talked about so many years ago. We can rejoice, and we can now follow in the footsteps of Jeremiah in faithful ministry. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message of Jeremiah, one which warns us of the wrath to come, one which warns us of sin, one which decrees judgment, but yet at the same time, one that gives hope, one that gives restoration, one that gives salvific hope in the Davidic king, not one who is still promised to come, but one who came, one who died, one who inaugurated the new covenant in his blood, initiated it through the shedding of his blood on the cross. And now all who will turn from their sin, who will heed the warning of the gospel, 
and believe upon Christ, those will be saved. Those will now enter in to this new covenant and they will enjoy eternal life with you. Lord, we thank you so much for the message of Jeremiah. May it bless our hearts and may we go out and live for him. In Christ's name, amen.